If you're not authentic, you're dead in the starting gate. So to me, I start with authenticity because I know that if I don't have authenticity, I'm never going to pass the sniff test. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. On today's episode, we sit down with Alan Newman, co-founder of Gardner Supply, 7th Generation, Magic Hat, and Alchemy in Science, and perhaps Vermont's most prolific entrepreneur. Welcome. This is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Alan. Welcome. Hi. Welcome hey, to VSET. How is everybody? <sighs> Doing great. It Fall is here. We're sl- this is the first taping for season three. Can you believe we've been asked back to the podcast universe? It's and who exciting. asked you back? Uh, our, our, our fan, <laughs> fan base. Our fan, there was well, incredible support. Um, Teeming hordes. Mom, mom has always been there for me. Yeah, Here's yeah. the thing, uh, Alan. I saw. I almost couldn't get in the door today. You know, you had about 300 people out there waiting, trying to it, uh, get into the audience. We're here. pretty exclusive. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we try to keep the demand rolling. I think so. it's a good plan. Yeah. It's no, working. Nothing sells like a line. No. Exactly. <laughs> All right, um, Sam. So, Alan, let's jump in here. the The term serial entrepreneur. <laughs> may have been created for you. Um, as, as has unlikely. What do, you t- what do you call it? You used the term unlikely entrepreneur? Did I say Reluctant? Unlikely? Accidental? Accidental, maybe. Accidental. Yeah. Is that you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Something tells me, like, you're not, like, the kind of guy that wants to go work for someone else. No, that's the problem. I've tried, and I've been failed. I've been fired pretty much every time. Um, so what is the sort of perfect storm that has made Al Newman an entrepreneur? What, <laughs> what came together to Survival. Make, yeah? You know, moved to Vermont in 1970. Um, there were not a lot of jobs around. Um, I needed to figure out how to, you know, support myself in a small family. And um, I, I just, honestly, I have never planned a single thing that I've done. <laughs> You know, every single one has just kind of come to me. And um, usually <laughs> I end up either getting fired or kicked out. Um, I've managed to get kicked out of even my own businesses, which I consider to be quite Quite an quite accomplishment. Special. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not that, if you think about it, it's not that easy. Um, but I've accomplished it over and over again. Um, I started out being kicked out of schools. I was kicked out of three schools in five years. Um, I really had no interest in business whatsoever. Um, I did have a newspaper route, so there was that, you know, that was my traditional question whenever I spoke to college students for years, how many people had newspaper routes as a sign right, that was of the first job, early you entrepreneurship. Lemonade stands. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, right. um, but I never really thought of myself in business at all. Um, I certainly wasn't a very good student, um, and I've just kind of stumbled along finding, you know, I have this theory. Um, my theory is, I have many theories, by the way, but one of my theories Let's is... Let's leave the conspiracy theories alone yeah, No, I have no, no conspiracy. Um, <laughs> I, I believe that everybody has a genius in them, and the lucky people figure out what it is that they can really do at a genius level. The lucky ones figure it out and get to it early and learn to develop those skills. And I'm lucky. I... Seem to fell into a, a skill that I just have. I mean, it's not like I, I worked on it, but I can see opportunities. My father used to see golf balls, and he couldn't 
he, he couldn't play a round of golf without being up like 30 golf balls because he would see every golf ball on the course and he had to pick everyone up. I'm like that with opportunities. I'm an opportunity junkie. I see opportunities wherever I look and I just... Well, explain a little bit about the method for that, right? Is it because some people set out with an intention? I want to start a business in X versus others just look for a circumstance, a moment in time. Like, serendipity behind serendipity. it. Serendipity. Yeah. There you go. Like, do you, have you got a sense now that you've done it five or six times? I've actually done it more than that. Um, those are the ones you know about. Um, I, 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 I don't, I don't know that I. I would love to say that. This is well thought out and planned out, and I, I really had a plan that I was executing against. It, it never has been true, though. Um, every single thing has come about out of nowhere. Um, and I, as I've gotten older and as it's happened more and more, I've just come to expect it to happen. And so now I don't panic. I used to panic. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, um, I'm, out of this, this, I'm out of this lane. I need a new lane to go play in. And I'd panic about what lane, and then um, eventually it would show up. And I now don't panic, and I just wait for it to show up, and it always does. So that first, that early one, was that gardener supply? Is that the, the sort of first risk? No, actually, <laughs> uh, there was one called Highland International prior to gardener supply. Have anything to do with beef? Uh, had absolutely nothing to do with beef. Um, I lived in Hanksville. Do you know where Hanksville is? No, I don't. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, world? sure. We know where Hanksville yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. So Hanksville is the absolute <laughs> furthest corner of, honey, of, of Chittenden County before you go over the ma mountain to Mad River. Well, that was the first place that Internet helped. came to Vermont, I believe, Sam. Yeah, so, they, yeah. They, when they, went, they wanted to put a stake in the ground for commerce, they went to Hanksville. Hanksville. Um, I got it, when I lived in Hanksville, we got on a plane one year to go to Florida, and there were more people on the plane than there were in Hanksville. Anyway... <laughs> Um, so I, I lived in Hanksville, and I, I ran into a guy who was starting a, this is 77 maybe, 78, he was starting a yacht timeshare company from a mountaintop in Hanksville. And he and I bonded, and I spent 18 months working with him trying to put together a yacht timeshare business where we were going to sell shares in ocean-going sailing yachts in, in warm seas from a mountaintop in Hanksville that you literally, on windy days, you literally couldn't walk from the house to the office um, be, because the wind would be blowing at 50, 60 miles it. an hour. I love it. So, so um, did you always co-found a company? Was, it, was that part of this, this process that wasn't a process as you... As you uh, it's a valid your, question. Um, I do tend to be very collaborative. Um, I like my own way, but I like to get there collaboratively. Um, I find, and this has gotten more so as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate people for differences rather than sameness. When I was younger, if people weren't like me, I had no patience for them. Detail-oriented people, oh, the bane of my existence, until one day it hit me. If they're doing the details... I don't have to. And then I became a fan of detail-oriented people and tended to surround myself. So I'm a fan of hiring people much smarter than me in, in specific areas. What I do really well is create vision, create context, create culture. 
and then try to hire smart people and let them do their job. It, but as co-founders, do they? I mean, is that how you look to build your founding team? So we, we well, work again, with a lot of companies, and they come in, and you know, we always say, well, you need a hipster, a, a, a hustler, and a hacker, right? Build it, sell it, make it cool. You know, uh, you put more thought into this than I do. Oh, I totally st- stole that from yeah. someone much more articulate. But my point is, you at least thought about something. I, I almost never think about anything other than how to get things going or how to grow it or how to build it or how to make it go quicker. So I, I, I really, whenever one business ends or one phase of life ends, I, I, I just wait for the next one to, to come around. And what would you say inspires you? Is it, is it an idea? Is it a person? Like what makes you want to make that leap? It's almost always the idea. Yeah. You know, it's almost always... Something. I like to do things that entertain me. Yeah. And I've been blessed. Um, I have, was born probably in the best year, in the best place, in the best time in the history of the world. Um, I was born in 1946, which is the leading edge of the baby boomers. So as I grew up, I had the largest group of consumers with disposable income in the history of the globe. And we all shared a cultural, cultural touchstones. And so I found if I did things that entertained me, there were enough people following behind so a me. rising tide to sell into. And you yeah. were your yeah. market. <laughs> yeah. And then I got really lucky with Magic Hat because... At the time, you know, the, the baby boomers were kind of past their beer time, and the X-Gen was the current beer population. Well, the X-Gen, for whatever reason, they really had a thing about the 60s. They shared a lot of the same cultural cues that the baby boomers did. And so that allowed me to create Magic Hat in my own vision. As long as I entertained me, there were enough people who also were entertained by it to help make it successful. Um, so I, is that why we ended up with apricot essence in our magic hat number nine? I mean, uh, no, that was pretty radical. Well, that was because I hate fruit beers. Fruit beers were incredibly hot on the West Coast. I told my partner, who is the brewer, Bob, yep. figure out how to make a fruit beer that I can drink. Because if I can't drink it, I can't sell it. And he's the one who came up with the idea of who? What if we use essence? So there's really no flavor of apricot. You know, everybody thought it tasted like apricot. It didn't. Trust me. There was no apricot flavor in it whatsoever. It was just aroma. And so that aroma made people think they were tasting apricot, which allowed me to be able to drink it so that I could sell it. I love it. I remember uh, an early holiday party at Select Design. (laughs) <laughs> when you and Bob came over, like kegs number two and three, mm-hmm. and about mm-hmm. six UPS trucks finished their day and parked out front, yeah. and those uh, were those were it was born. Days. Those were yeah. the days. Those, so yeah, things were hot in those days. That was, that was a, fun. A long time. Do you think that the timing was something special with Magic Hat? Do you think Magic Hat could have been started today? Everything I have ever done has been based on timing. If I had to pick out what is it I do best. For whatever reason, I happen to be in the right place at the right time over and over again. And to be honest, I never recognize it. It's oh, just you just stole retrospect. my question because, right, entrepreneurship's when to get in and when to get out. 
no. largely, and it it's just fortuitous. Yeah. Right? No, I just yeah, I just never, I never know it. I mean, I just. But if I take a look at it, I was you know early in on seventh generation by far. Nobody cared about about uh, the environment in eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight when we started seventh generation. I mean, nobody cared about it. Um, craft beer, you know, was at about a two share. Um, you know, nationally, or, and in Vermont, I think we were two shares less than that nationally when Magic Hat started. And, you know, did I see it exploding to 7,000 breweries in America today? No, I didn't. Um, but I, 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 I knew it was going to grow, and I knew that if we did it differently than everybody else, there would be a place for us in there if we did it well. Um, but I never really thought through um, the, the process. But, you know, you, you sell yourself a little bit short here because I recall back in Magic Hat, you had very specific sort of, we're going to go to second-tier markets oh, and oh. radio, like Providence. Oh. I remember no, that once, was your example. That was Once like, we bro- got into it, I developed a strategy, and much to everybody's shock and, and amazement, um, I was very disciplined and I was very patient. Um, I had a strategy that worked. Which aren't two adjectives no, used to describe people, Alan no, Newman. No, yeah. very rare. Um, but it, I found a strategy that worked. And I found uh, there was one time I didn't have the patience and I allowed it to operate on its own, and it was a nightmare. And that drove me back to, Alan, have patience. You know, just don't screw this thing up because you got it going. You know it's going to work. Don't, don't push it. Well, this is related. I'm going to jump ahead a question. Um, just to talk about for companies uh, that are starting out or early days around their brand, when do they lock in sort of their brand story, their stuff? Or Do they do it on the outset and then go sell, or do they kind of muddle along for a, a year and then – because I hate the word rebrand, right? Oh, we rebranded. That means well, I think you're always – you know, one of the things that, you know, Michael Jagger – you know, talks about a lot, a lot as the living brand, which is something I'm in total agreement with. And actually, he's probably the person who taught me this. Um, when Magic Hat first started, we used Michael's firm, um, which at the time was JDK, to develop the Magic Hat brand. And he was functionally, I believe, the art director of Burton in those days. Right. And so I would watch what he was doing with Burton. And the idea of having multiple logos was this crazy idea to me. It's like, no, you want to have one logo and you want to drive that one logo. And he goes, no, no, you, you really, you got, you got to break it up. You got to keep people guessing. You got to give them choices. And he's the one who really taught me that um, a brand is living and the world around you is changing. And if you're going to just sit there with one, one look and one position and never change it, you're going to die. And so the thing that everybody was surprised at that I lasted 17 years running Magic Hat, and I'd still be there today if, if the one company I asked not to buy it didn't buy it, but I, I'd still be there because every day was new. You know, in, in the craft beer world especially, you have to have new right. on a daily basis. That's my world, you know, mm-hmm. and so we operated on constant evolution, constant change, constant improvement, and we never felt like we were anywhere close to being where we wanted to get to, and there was always mountains to climb. And does it evolve based upon the feedback from your customers? Is that where you're listening most intensely? Or, have, or is have, it more of a corporate no. decision or, or you have a, a feeling of this is where we're headed? First of all, I don't believe in, in corporate think. 
Um, you know, corporate think looks at where things are a year after they're there because they don't want to take any risks. You know, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, in my opinion, is seeing a market opening up with white space and you jump into it. Um, so to me, that's a fundamental difference. Um, what was your question again? <laughs> uh, well, it was just more about, I guess, when we work with a lot of companies or people starting out, there's Branding. like, is there a brand, yeah. you know? Well, I'm going to get to a million in sales and then I'm going to brand for the mass audience because you... you and it, and it's often really difficult to say you know when to build your your your, your narrative with with this intention and purpose. Right? I'm going to steal Michael's uh, words here. So we we need to picture him on the wall, Sam. Right? Just <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Right? We'll do that. Um, or or you know when is it best to either hire somebody to do this for you and with you or after you've gotten certain amounts of customer feedback, either they don't buy your product or they do, but they give you feedback directionally where to head, like that's, it's sort of messy at that stage. And I think you hit it. It's messy. I, I don't know that there is a rule, first of all, because <sighs> I think everybody does it differently. And there is no, you know this, there is no one way to do anything. There's always multiple ways of getting there. In today's world, you know, I'm going to use buzzwords, but if you're not authentic, you're dead in the starting gate. So to me, I start with authenticity because I know that if I don't have authenticity, I'm never going to pass the sniff test. So if it's me, then I've got to be passionate about it. And I was passionate about beer. I was certainly passionate about the environment. And uh, there's really nothing I'm working on today that I'm not equally passionate about. So that's where I start. Um, then, you know, I got a really good training in catalog and direct response back in the garden supply and niche marketing services days and that really taught me how to talk to customers effectively because you get immediate feedback you can measure everything and so those are really good lessons to understand how to communicate to customers and to learn the basics sell benefits not features i mean that's the most simple version but nobody does it and so I, I, I use a lot of my experience there. At the end of the day, I generally use a combination of information and instinct. But then once it's in the market, I never listen to what anybody tells me. I only look at what people do. I, I'm a believer in actions speak much louder than words. When I used to do beer, new beer kickoffs with distributors, and all the distributor reps would tell me what a great beer it is and how this is the next great beer. I didn't pay any attention. I would just wait until the night's over, and I'd look around the room, and I'd see how many empty glasses were there. If all the glasses were empty, I knew I had a hit. If all the glasses were half full, I went, oh, shit, I got a problem here. Um, so I, I okay. tend to watch customer response rather than what people say. I learned years ago that if you read your own press clippings, it's the path Ooh, to disaster. Yeah, yeah you just yeah. you really go off the off the edge really quick. So I don't pay any attention to any of that. Yeah, benefits, not features. Love it, um, Alan. What companies are you involved with now? <laughs> we um, we checked the Wikipedia page, but it, it didn't have the most up to date list. <laughs> um, True. Well, there's Higher Ground. Um, Huge fan. Um, so am I. Um, there's Flourish Farm, which is a cricket farm. Uh, producing edible uh, crickets. Um, 
There's a hamburger company out in Denver, Colorado, that I'm working with a lot, trying to rebrand. <laughs> we're actually going back to it's a great it's a great example of what you were referring to, David. Was it? Um, we're not really rebranding them. We're going. They lost their way. They had a brand mm-hmm. when they began. They lost their way. And so all I'm doing is coming back and say, okay, you had, a, you had the right idea coming out of the gate. You lost your way. Let's go back to that. But let's go back to it in how it would look in 2018, not 2006. And so that's what I'm doing out there. I'm working on a development project that I'm crazy about. Does anybody know what Camp Mead is? No. Uh, Camp Mead? Yeah. No. Um, Camp Mead is an old conservation corps uh, um, project in Middlesex where the Red Hen Brewery now is, and yes, love uh, the Red Hen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I live on Red Hen, and so we bought the whole property, me and two other guys, and we're building it out with more food and craft manufacturing retailers, um, with a big event space in the middle, and nice. so yeah, it's great. Uh, as I said. There's nothing I'm working on right now that I don't really like doing. And then... <laughs> well, nothing you can't eat or drink is sort of the pattern I've, I've recognized. <laughs> right? Or do. Or do. Yeah, okay. you know, okay. and, and what I do, you know, it took me a long time. You know, everybody said, well, what's your elevator pitch? What is it you do? And late in life, you know, three months ago, I figured it out. Um, I create experiential retail to build brands around. And if I look at what I've done, that's what I've done in every... I'm a one-trick pony. That's what I do. Wow. Um, And I started doing that before people were talking about experiential retail? What does that mean? Um, And I found early... That's you. Yeah. That's what I do. And if you take a look at every one of my projects, there is an experiential retail facility at at the epicenter of what I do to communicate to the customer who we are in the most pure and direct form. Um, You're wearing the Burton shirt. You know, Burton does that at their plant down here. You go down, you do a tour of Burton, and you see them making the the prototypes, and you're seeing how they make the boards. How do you then buy any other board but Burton? Um, I mean, it goes back to that authenticity that you talked about. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so if you can't build that in from the very beginning... I, it's a tough one. It's the best litmus test is having your actual customers in front of you. Correct. Yes. And it's how you learn. Um, you learn what works. You give them options, you know, and you bring them in and you see the response to different kinds of things and you see it in a very small space. So it allows you to evaluate whether or not it's being effective or not before you move it out into the world where it's going to be mixed in with 40,000 other distractions. So you get to play with it. In its, in its most pure form um, at the flagship and, and really bring your customers into that full, um, full experience. Do you think that is um, something that's inherently Vermont? No. No? No. I think it's international. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at what's going on internationally, I think you'll see that what's going on with big box stores and retail is happening internationally, and people are looking. I, I think that people are the same all over. It's psychographic rather than demographics. And psychographic profiles are the same whether you grew up in Italy, Czechoslovakia. Or Hanksville. Or Hanksville. 
Vermont, literally. Um, if you share a psychographic profile, if you share the love of, of outdoor recreational activity, what difference does it make where you're living? Mm -hmm. So I'm a, I'm a real fan of, uh, I'm a globalist, not a nationalist. I think that, you know, we need to go back on the global approach. I think that I won't go down this path. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we would have lost control, Sam. I just, just want to point out, I don't know when people hear this, but it's election day today, and I'm keep trying to keep my mouth shut. Is that what all the phone calls are shut. about? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what all the phone calls are about? I, uh, you, you've covered it a little bit, but um, when do you know product market fit and those assumptions around it's time to abandon what you're doing, <laughs> control alt delete like it, obviously when you're out of money is one sign but but even then it might know, not be it could be time to go get more money yeah time to more money it, or is it like you know is there a, a kernel in your crystal ball of prediction i mean if we have two takeaways that that this next generation of entrepreneur might benefit from what 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 advice might you have i um i i like talking to college classes i do a fair amount of it and I, it's usually the unlikely entrepreneur. And I told my story about kicked out of schools, blah, blah, blah. And then I always, somebody says, well, what are you doing now? And I, I give the litany of what I'm doing now. And somebody says, well, when you're looking at something, how do you know that it's, you know, how do you plan for it if it's going to fail? And I looked at him and went, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I've never done that. Um, I've had a couple of businesses that have been up against it that many people might have said, time to close shop. I, I believe what makes an entrepreneur is somebody who makes something work. It's not about having a brilliant idea and having a clear path. There's no such thing. So execution, resiliency, the, the team. Perseverance, the yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm not going to tell you that I haven't had been right up against it. Um, it's just I don't. I've not had one where I said, you know what, I don't see how to make this work. Um, and because of that, I've always been able to, to pull it out of the fire, so to speak, and find ways of, of making corrections to get it. I can't think of anything that I would call a total failure. Um, eh, yacht Timeshare was a total failure. Um, there are a couple other minor ones, but I, I find it's about perseverance. It, it's about overcoming obstacles. And one of the things that really um, concerns me about this current belief that entrepreneurship is the hottest thing going and everybody should be an entrepreneur is I, I, I don't think people get it. I don't think people understand what that means in terms of, 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 of work habits. You know, it doesn't, I don't think they know what it means in terms of overcoming obstacles. C can that be learned, or is it just innate to... I don't know the work? answer, yeah. Dave. Um, I, I'm working with a couple of businesses now where this is being driven home to me in spades. They just shouldn't be, they, they just shouldn't be running their own business. Um, every time something goes wrong, it throws them for a loop, and they don't know how to move forward. Um, and the one thing that you have to do if you're starting up a business is you always have to move forward. And the moment you stop moving forward, you're dead meat. And doesn't always mean you're in the perfect lane to get where you want to go, but you'll figure if, if you keep going, eventually you'll figure it out. And so I'm a real believer that... Entrepreneurship is about overcoming obstacles, 
and it's about perseverance more than anything else. I, I've never had a business that just took off. Um, yeah, that's the mythical unicorn sort of scenario, yeah. right? And I just got an email today from a friend of mine. I asked him how one of his businesses was going. He said, oh, this is a tough business. I sent him back a note. Do me a favor. Tell me which one is the easy business. You know, I keep waiting for the easy one to come along. They're all tough. And every one of them has constant mountains to, to climb. And every time you think, okay, I'm there. It's going to be easy now. I got it. Bad news. If you're growing, the, the obstacles become more expensive, more complex, more difficult, and they never, ever stop coming. So when you talk to students, uh, college students particularly, what is, is, is perseverance sort of the biggest takeaway, or what, what sort of piece of advice do you think most resonates? You know, I, I don't, I, I think it's all different. Mm-hmm. Um, every group is a little bit different. I don't really try, I really talk more about my experiences. I don't preach, because um, the reality is I truly don't believe that there is only one way to do something. I think if what entrepreneurship is around is somebody sees, a, sees something that nobody else saw before and figures out a way to get there. And the example I use all the time, oh, early 80s, this friend of mine came to me with his private placement, and he said, I got this great idea. What do you think? And I read this plan for how he's going to put an ice cream factory in the middle of a field in rural Vermont, and it's going to be the number one tourist attraction. And I go, Ben... That is the stupidest fucking idea I have ever seen in my entire life. And ever since then, I now keep my mouth shut. If somebody sees a way of doing something that isn't, hasn't been done before, and they're motivated, and they're persistent, um, go for it. <laughs> Great Sounds perspective. like a familiar story. <laughs> ben someone or other with some sort of ice cream. Yeah, yeah, some sort of ice cream. He did okay with his ice cream. He did okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I want to ask this question. You said it was election day. It's about hard choices. Yeah. And we want to know, which one do you like better, Ben or Jerry? You know, it's hard to separate them sometimes. Ooh. Sometimes Two the, sides the, of the same coin they, kind of thing? You know, um, they really are two sides. You know, they are best friends to this day. Um, they're both great. They're both totally different. And they're both great. I mean, okay, yeah, they're one. They're right. they're classic Vermont entrepreneurs. Love it. I went to their uh, their podcast or podcast taping with Alec Baldwin oh. at the Flynn, which was <laughs> awesome. It was it was so great. Um, just one of those things that you walk away with just a huge mm-hmm. smile, and yeah. it was so inspiring and funny and and poignant. Um, any mentors you've had over the years that have been particularly helpful, or I've had a. I have, one of the reasons I'm generally available to anybody is I'm just blown away at the people who've made themselves available to me over the years. I mean, the number of people who I've called blind, you know, who are superstars in an industry that I'm in, and go, hey, you don't know me, blah, blah, blah. What can I do for you? And spend an hour on the phone helping me understand something. So I'm pretty good at that, and there are a bunch of people who I go to. But for a mentor, there's really only one person who I can think of who, um, who I think probably is the most responsible person for Vermont, Vermont entrepreneurship. Uh, it's a guy named Lyman Wood, who you people probably don't know. You might 
you have white hair, so you I might do. know who I Lyman do. was. Um, it's, it's the light that makes the hair look yeah, white. Yeah, yeah, that's what yes, it is? Yes. I thought it was the age. You used to have... Actually, right, fair you enough. know, you always had white hair, actually, now that, we, now that I think of it. When you were 12. Oh, I don't know about... Well, maybe. When you were in college, you had white the, hair. The important thing is I, I have hair. Yes. Yeah. For me. Burn. Unlike some people. For me. Was that, was that a pointed comment? It just was a comment. It's yeah, about yeah, yeah. me. But this is about you, so well, let's luckily, get back to you. Well, luckily, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Me too. I, Sam slowly backs out of the room. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exit so Sam. what was your question, Sam? You started About this. mentor. You're t- Lyman Wood. Oh, Lyman Wood. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lyman um, built a business called Troy built Rototillers, and then he started Garden Way. And he was the f- first... He was the first business person who I ever saw who just did things weird. You know, um... He didn't run it like a standard business. And he's really the one who kind of made it okay for Will and I, Will Rapp and I, to, um, to, to bring our personal values into the business. Because up until then, that was not, you know, early 80s, mid, it was not a lot of, business was pretty dry and straightforward. It's really since the Ben and Jerry, the, the Anita Roddick, the body shop, you know, there's a handful of people who really drove this belief that business could change the world, which, by the way, I don't believe. But at the time, I did. And it really it was, was important to me. And the only reason I've been able to do this is I have been able to, all, all my businesses really had a lot of my personal values in it whether it was in what we were selling or the culture of the office or the way we operated as a business. So to me, that was probably the most important thing that allowed me to be proud of being an entrepreneur was having Lyman Wood there. And also, I mean, the number of times I went down to his place for lunch when I was trying to figure out something, um, you know, he was he was really helpful. Yeah, I think Karen Cross at one point had tallied up probably like 23 companies or yeah. maybe it's three dozen now could be traced back to that original no question. Uh, pillar sort of employer here. Um, any companies that you admire today that you're not involved in? In Vermont, around the area? Um, Burton comes to mind really quickly. Um, you know, as a company that created created their own path um, and they did it in their own style and to this day they stick to their values they stick to their mission um, I don't know a lot about King Arthur Flower but I suspect they would fit into this category um, Dwayne um, I doubt it's uncommon uh, I mean I, I've been yeah. a huge Dwayne Peterson? Yeah. I, I've yeah. been a Dwayne and Laura Peterson fan for a million years, and to see Dwayne strike out on his own and 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 build um, Sun Common has just been a treat for me. And I think the way he's done it, you know, um, I, I really appreciate. Um, there are a bunch of, of of others around. I don't want to, you know, I I don't I don't want to leave anybody out. I think there's a bunch of really fabulous um, entrepreneurial spirit in Vermont, probably. One of the things that I like most about Vermont is there is a real spirit among the entrepreneurial culture of helping each other, um, whether it be people like Vset or um, I mean, or you making your time. I mean, just again sharing the story and, and advice and 
Like um, you said, just picking up the phone, people answer your call. Yep. You know, that's, I moved here from Massachusetts and that was the, the biggest change for me is people, if you put yourself out there, people are willing to help. It, it's, and, when I, and I heard somebody in one of your earlier podcasts talk about this. The fact that I can pick up the phone and meet with Pat Leahy, I mean, it's mind boggling. Um, Sam, did you just hear Alan listened to our podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Admitted. We have a huh? fan in the room. Huh? Can you pass me those tissues? Uh, tissues. <laughs> we're tearing up. So would you just rate uh, Vermont's innovation ecosystem? You said it's you know, special to Vermont, but, I mean, how are we doing? You travel to other states and countries. And, well, I, mean, I see it more compressed here because it's smaller. You know, if I go to Denver... I mean, there's, trust me, there's an entrepreneurial culture in Denver. Do I see it as concentrated as here? No, because Denver has a huge it's tourism. The Great Plains. It's, yeah. I mean, it, so I think I get, I know Vermont better than any place. I've lived here since 1970. So I know it well. I know the landscape well. I know the people well. And I know the entrepreneurial culture here. So I see it more clearly than other places. So I don't know that it's any better or worse here, but I do know that it's very accessible here. I don't know that it's as accessible in other places. I think it's easier to find. It's easier to access because of scale. You know, I think one of the things that makes Vermont so great is the same thing that makes it suck. You know, it's small. (laughs) And you got access to whoever and whatever is here. There's just not a lot here. And the number of times I've watched people move here from larger cities with these great idea for niche businesses, and it's like, dude, you don't have population density. It's a great idea. But you're not going to turn 80 seats in a restaurant that serves... It is you know, small. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's small. Got to know your audience. And um, that, that's, where, that's why I think entrepreneurship is so important to Vermont. Yeah. And that's the perfect segue into our, our final magic wand question, uh, which is, if you could change one thing about Vermont today, what would it be? Well, the obvious is the weather. I mean, I hate this weather. Um, but I assume that's not... No, good... that's chill. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's... Oh, I would change the weather in a heartbeat. No, no doubt about but it. My I, wife I... has the same answer after yeah. growing up in Vermont, but... I. Uh, well, what are you, you know, waiting for? It's not going to change. Or maybe it is changing. Well, it, it's, not, it's not changing. The problem is I'm changing. When I had knees and I could ski, winter was fine. Ugh. And as my knees went, all of a sudden, you know, what am I going to do? I, I think I'm going to go the, slip on the ice. That's the top recruiting question mm-hmm. or when people are interviewing is what's your winter passion? Because if and, it's not outdoor sports, ice fishing, knitting, snowmobiling, skiing, you got only you so many something. beers you can consume in the lodge. Yeah, right and, yeah, yeah. Someone said Netflix Ugh. was their winter passion. Oh, and I was no. like, I There's thought that so was a loser answer, but that I'm willing to tolerate. My my wife calls it the Vermont grayscale. We look out the window and there's like eight different shades of gray in the distance. It's too true. Well, we'll work on it. Yep, we'll see what we can you. do. I'll see if I can pull some strings. Sam, if you can do that, I'd really appreciate it. It's honestly the least I I'll come back and talk again if you can do that. Fair enough. All right, I'll see what I can do. Because given history, he may have a new career in a couple weeks here, right? Weather change. This has been Start Here with Sam and Dave, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series has been made possible by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Follow us on Twitter at VCET. That's VSET. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to work.